So good to see my brother Joe Pascal there in church with us today. Amen. God bless you, brother. Man, it's answered prayers to have our brothers and our brother in church and his wife, Sister Lisa. I mean, it's just so good to have you guys with us today. Amen. Why don't we just enter into worship? I just sense a wonderful presence and worship spirit amongst everyone today. Uh, let's sing the song, Thank You for the Cross, Worthy is the Lamb. Key of G, please. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and Over 
song together power of your love amen lord i come to you 
Let my heart be changed and renewed and flowing from the grace that I found in you, that I found in you, Lord. And Lord, I've come to know the weaknesses I see in me will be stripped away by the power of your
place I'd rather be than in the shelter of his arms. Amen. Hallelujah. Have a song on my heart. Let the worshipers arise. Could we see if that song is in the database? Amen. Beautiful song. One of my favorites. Key of F. Let the worshipers arise. Amen. We'll sing something different then. Amen. We'll sing my favorite song. Amen. Y'all ready to sing it with me? How many knows what that is? (laughs) The days of Elijah. Amen. (laughs) All right. Let's sing it together. Amen. These are the days of Elijah. Declaring the word of the Lord. These are the days of your servant. Moses, righteousness, speed, and restore. And though these are days of great trial, oh, of famine and darkness and soul, we are the voice in the desert crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, ye come riding on the clouds. Shining like the sun, have the trumpets call, well, lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee, and out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. These are the days of Ezekiel, yes, the bones becoming as flesh. These are the days of your servant, David, rebuilding a temple of grace. And these are the days of the harvest, where the fields are wide in the world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Shining like the sun At the trumpet's call Lift your voice It's a year of jubilee And out of Zion till salvation comes Listen now There's no God like Jehovah 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 there's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Behold, He comes well right. Yes, shining like the sun. At the trumpet's call, well, lift your foot. It's a year of jubilee. And out of Zion's hill, salvation comes. No 
God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Come on. There's no God like Jehovah. 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 Behold, He goes. Well, shining like the sun at the trumpet's call. Hallelujah, we worship you, Jesus. Glory, hallelujah. Amen, amen. My, what a wonderful presence and atmosphere. Man, I'm sure our Heavenly Father is pleased with your praise and worship this morning. Amen. My heart's just glowing, amen, with praise. Hallelujah. We're going to change the order of our service at this time. Musicians can play something softly there. Man, I believe it's time to take our, our needs to the Lord in prayer. Amen. I know that he is more than able to answer every need, every problem we face in life. Amen. He has the answers for us, friends. Amen. I have a few prayer requests here that we want to make mention of. Um, some folks that are out of town, and we want to hold them up in prayer. The Ivies are not with us today. If you'll remember the Ivy family in prayer. Uh, and Sister Jackie Sylvester is out of town as well, if you remember her in prayer. Um, Brother Lucas Henley is traveling, so if you'd remember them in prayer as well. Um, if you'd remember the Hughes family in prayer, they're still very sick. Um, we certainly continue to remember the Smith family, Brother Richard and Sister Mary. Amen. And the, um, the trouble they're going through, so I pray that you would just uh, remember them in your prayers. Amen. The Cockman family is not with us today. If you remember them in prayer, uh, Pierce Jackson also is not feeling well. If you him in prayer, um, and I have a prayer request here, I'm not sure who this is from, but it says to keep in prayer for my friend Jason Cook, he is in the hospital in ICU at this time, so let's remember this very special need, Mr. Jason Cook, in prayer also from, uh, I have a prayer request Please pray for my mom. She's in need of a healing touch. Can't make out the name, but I'm sure my Heavenly Father knows who this need is for. Amen. And also a very special unspoken prayer request. Um, let's remember that need in prayer. Amen. Do you have unspoken prayer requests by the uplifting of your hands? Brother Jason, if you'd make your way forward to take these needs to the Lord for us. Amen. We're going to pray with you, friends. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's a grand privilege to be in your house this morning. Father, just to come in and, Lord, forget about the cares of life, Lord, and just lay ourselves, Lord, at your feet. Lord, to, just to hear something special from you, something specific for us, Lord, this morning. And Lord, we heard the 
needs that were read, Lord, those that are traveling, those that are sick, and this one in the hospital, intensive care, Father. Lord, you said bring all your needs to the altar. And Father, we've come this morning just laying them, Lord, laying them down, Father, knowing that you have a purpose, you have a plan for each trial that we go through, Father. You know, you, you would never give us something that we would not be able to handle. Lord, we just ask, God, that you would just come in a special way. Take these needs, Father. May there just be a wonderful testimony that would come from the different prayer requests, Father. Lord, that we just hear once again your greatness, your goodness, Lord, and how you're moving amongst us. And, Father, we just pray for the preaching of the word this morning. Lord, that you would just take our brother, move him aside, Father, that your word would just come true and straight and just strike our hearts this morning. Lord, we love you, we appreciate you, and Father, we just ask you to take the remainder of the service, the songs that be sung, the specials, Lord, for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Brother Jason. You can have your seats now at this time. We have a few uh, special songs. Uh, we're going to ask the quartet if they'd be making their way up to the front um, at this time. Uh, as they're making ready, uh, we want to uh, sing a little song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, QFC. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Oh, I want to see you. Well, open the eyes of my heart, Lord.
didn't know there would be anyone here since Brother Larry had passed that would enjoy quartet music as much as I do. But I found someone, and he came from a most unlikely source, Northwest Canada. God saves Canadians too. <laughs> Trust this will be a blessing to you. I just love this old song. Are you thankful for that old rugged cross?
made the difference for us, saints of God. Hallelujah. Brother Keith, uh, are y'all going to do the special? Okay. Y'all go ahead, and uh, if the Buchanan family will make ready, uh, they have a, another special for us. It's all right. You can give them a hand. We love the Buchanan family. Amen. Appreciate them and the talent and God's placed in their life. too many things compared to some people but one thing I do know is if you ever know the master on the level that I know him there's no way your life could ever be the same Has died. 
Appreciate that wonderful special. Let the deacons come forward at this time. Let's all stand. I believe our hearts and our minds are ready for the word of God. And that's the most important thing to me. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Tom, if you'll just lead us in prayer over the offering. All right, let's try the song, You Deserve the Glory, Key of C. You deserve the glory and the honor. Oh, Lord, we lift our heads in worship as we bless your holy name. You deserve the glory. 
opportunity we have to be able to gather in your presence again, Lord. Like Brother Jaron said this morning, Lord, the atmosphere is just saturated with your presence. And Lord, I believe that you would have something to say to us today. May our hearts be open, Lord. May our, may our minds be in tune to what you would have us to say, Lord. And may we respond right to the word of God, because Lord, that's always what you're looking for. May we have an open mind, Lord, an obedient heart. Father, I pray that you would just speak to us today. Bring healing to those who need it. Bless those who are watching online. And Father, we commit them into your care and ask that your name would be glorified in our praises today, Lord. May we continue to hold that spirit of worship as we listen to your word. Father, speak to us, transform us, make us, Lord, what you want us to be. May we become, Lord, what you envisioned before the foundation of the world. Because, Lord, we know your word has transforming power. Speak to us, I pray, now in the volume of the book. And we'll give you glory and honor in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. While you're standing this morning, let's take your Bibles. I'd like to turn right to the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians, the third chapter. 
We're going to give Brother Gideon a rain check for singing. There will be no service tonight. We normally have one on the first Sunday of every month, but we had the ladies' event yesterday, so we're not going to have a service tonight. I wanted to say also, too, that uh, Pete and Rachel asked me to give uh, just a word of thanks for everyone's support and care and prayers for Henry over the last uh, little while. It's good to see him take his position in the second row tonight, today, and uh, we appreciate having him back. It's been a tough, uh, tough little valley that he's gone through, but uh, we want to say as a family, we appreciate everybody's support and prayers. Good to have everybody here. Norman, always good to have you here. Pascal's always good to have them with us and each and every one of you today. May God richly bless you. June 11th, you want to save the date, we're going to have a welcome reception for Mitchell and his new bride. And we're going to have a dinner here at the uh, church on June 11th. So you want to save that date. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I only have one verse on the screen, but I'd like you to begin at verse 6 with me if you don't mind. Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Our subject has been spirit and truth. So this is an important passage for us here today. Verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved in stones, was glorified, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? So if Moses could come down from the mount with the law, and that presence around him was so glorious how much greater the word today which is not the law but the word of grace and the word of truth how much greater verse 9 for if the ministration of condemnation be glory much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect or by comparison by reason of the glory that excelleth for if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. And seeing then that we have such great hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ." And you know, you'd still be in darkness if Christ hadn't taken the veil away from you, right? This applies to all of us. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their, Israel's, heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed, and this is the word transformed here, transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. May God add his, reading, uh, add his blessing to the reading, and you may be seated this morning. I have one extra screen that I want to share with you this morning, and that is this. <clears throat> now, I don't want to be biased at all. I don't want to be preferential. I don't want to be exclusive. However, they say 
They say that people born in May are both optimistic. They said they're supposed to be smart, ambitious, trustworthy, and more passionate and dynamic than people born the rest of the year. I'm just saying, that's what they, that's what they said. May 8th is Sister Carrie's birthday. God bless you, Sister Carrie. Appreciate you very much. And Sister Jackie Sylvester. Sister Jackie's in uh, away uh, this, this weekend. May 9th, Mitchell Buchanan's birthday, right? How old are you, Mitchell? Wow. I got married at the tender age of 27 as well. So <clears throat> people in May, they're just, they're just, we're tight. May 10th, uh, Sister Angela Pritchard. Sister Angela, we appreciate you very much. And may God give you a wonderful day on, on uh, May 10th. And also Sister Jennifer Irish's birthday as well. Sister Jennifer, God bless you. We appreciate you very much. Uh, May 13th is Naomi Ansong's birthday. And May 14th is Nathan, is Nathan Brown's birthday. Is Nathan here this morning? Front row. Front row. There he is. <laughs> and uh, God bless you, Nathan. We appreciate him. Appreciate all of our uh, crew yesterday that helped uh, in the uh, ladies' event. And uh, appreciate all that was done yesterday. It was certainly a, a wonderful time, glorious time. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted to say that, um, you know, Brother Aaron, or, sorry, Brother Jaron mentioned several times uh, today that uh, it was such a glorious atmosphere, and so I, I wanted to come out. I was feeling that atmosphere and that presence in there, so I wanted to come out, but uh, it, it, is a, it is a wonderful thing to be able to come and minister uh, in that atmosphere for sure, and uh, we appreciate it very much. And the, uh, just the atmosphere yesterday and, you know, all the sisters getting together and uh, the invited folks, it was just a, a real blessed time. And uh, we appreciate that more and more. Such a contrast to the world that we live in. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's great to be able to get together and do that. I wanted to say that uh, just very quickly here that uh, Brother Smith always updates me Sunday morning, gives me a... <laughs> Uh, just kind of a, a prayer request, extended prayer request, and he sends me an email. And uh, he was just talking about how Sister Mary's improving, doing better, and, and uh, he's very thankful for the support and the prayers. But I, I wanted to say also, too, as I think it bears mentioning, that um, this week Sister Doris Reynolds and Sister Emmy was down there, and Sister Julia as well went by to help out, to visit, and to bring food to them. And also Brother Johnny uh, was with them and came and took Brother Smith off to the grocery store and helped him get some things. And uh, just was a support to Brother Smith. And uh, I, I just want to say I really appreciate that. that, that is a, um, that's what families should do. That's what all families should do is just be in support of one another. And don't think that uh, just, just because we mention a prayer request up here that is just here for prayer, that is important, it's essential, and uh, I, I think it is uh, certainly needful. But uh, I, I think it's great when, you, if, when and if you have an opportunity to uh, reach out to those people that we mentioned that are a part of us, I, I know that goes a long way uh, in blessing those people. So we appreciate those efforts uh, that are put forth on behalf of uh, those that are in need in our assembly for sure. The last thing I want to say is that in a rare moment of weakness, I'd like to agree with uh, Brother Keith um, and say that I, too, also believe that God saves Canadians. <clears throat> now, last Sunday, 
we talked a little bit about the culture, the effect of culture upon families and specifically with boys. And today it's the girl's turn. And I want to review just very briefly what we, talk about, uh, what we talked about last Sunday. I'm just going to do a very, very brief recap uh, there because it's all recorded and you're able to access it if you were not here last Sunday. But the culture is a, a very powerful thing. The culture that we live in, the culture that we are uh, submerged in is a very powerful thing. It has great influence. And very often, in order to be really, uh, really um, a work of, of the enemy... It, it's, going to be sub, it's going to be subtle. It's not going to be really uh, obvious. It's going to be subtle. So therefore, it, it is not my mandate in life to study the tactics of the devil. I actually hate to waste time on doing it at all. However, I don't want to be blindsided by his strategies. I want to know, I want to know how I can identify whether that's the spirit of God moving or whether that's the spirit of the enemy. Because remember, Satan sends his messengers as angels of light. They're impersonating angels of light. And so therefore, it's going to sound great. It's going to feel great. It's going to look almost like the real thing. And Jesus warned us in this last day that things are going to be very close. So much, so close that it would deceive the very elect if possible. And so young people are very much the target of Satan's onslaught today. Young men, young women, they have a lot to deal with that we didn't have a lot to deal with uh, back in our day. My upbringing, my childhood was exposed to very different things than what some of these young people are, are exposed to today. And uh, I, I'm very aware of that, and I, I try to be very sensitive to that because I know the Holy Spirit uh, has... Um, uh, has a keen interest in, in helping our young people to be strong and to be overcomers in our day. And uh, <clears throat> people who are older have more experience. Uh, they have more exposure to things in life uh, than young people do. Obviously, more years on the road, more, uh, more experiences and more victories and more, uh, more stories to tell, if you like. And uh, I think it's important for us to do everything we can to support our young people. And this is not a young people's sermon, but it is important for us to support our young people in helping to give insight. Because if we just leave this to giving young people a bunch of instructions, warnings, and uh, criticisms, uh, we're not doing our job. I, I believe that young people are going to be strong when families stand behind them and with them with the church and the ministry helping them because you know what? We all need each other. Whether you realize it or not, we all need each other. And so therefore, it's not just giving young people a bunch of rules and having them all come to the altar. If they go back into an environment where they're unsupported, that experience at the altar is not going to mean as much. But when they go back to a home that's supportive, parents that are supportive and, and willing to pray for them and do what they can to help them, that means a lot to every young person. And so we want to uh, just uh, take a look at this uh, idea of culture as we've been talking about it here and uh, to look at some of the uh, principles that are found in, uh, in the Word of God. Now, Brother Branham said in The Power of Transformation, he said, now I'm trying to get this over to you, that that's civilization, what we call culture. And he's talking about the world. He's talking about the cosmos. And he says, we call it civilization or we call it culture. He said, culture, you hear so much about that. And Brother Branham lived in a time when, 1965, when our, when our, uh, when our uh, whole uh, culture, if you like, it was, it was going through a, a metamorphosis. It was going through a change. And uh, there was less respect than what there used to be. 
and there was a departure from uh, stated norms. There was a departure from uh, things that were accepted and things that were, were uh, kind of taken for granted. And that was a respect for the Bible and a respect for God and a respect for prayer and school and all the rest of it. This is the era when it all began to change. We are seeing the fruits of that change. But that's when it all began, back there in the 1960s. And I believe that God had done some very, very great, significant, and important things in, in the early 60s through the ministry of a prophet. And I believe that Satan countered that. And that's, that's when we had a warfare begin that no other age really has ever experienced. Are we okay this morning? <clears throat> okay, so Brother Branham said now about this culture, he said, now did you ever hear what my estimation of culture was? He said, it's a man that doesn't have enough nerve to kill a rabbit, but he'll eat a belly full of it after someone kills it. So he said, that's what I think of culture. So somebody will go in a fancy restaurant and pay a lot of money to eat a rabbit that somebody else killed, but they haven't got the, the stamina to kill it themselves. And he said, it isn't culture a man into God. It isn't culture a man into God. We're not going to bring some people to Christ because we have a cultured church and a cultured preacher and a cultured environment. You know, everything is, is kind of dignified and all the rest of it. He said, you don't civilize him into God. He's born a seed of God from God, always was God, and can never be nothing else but God. Amen. He said, you're not cultured into it. You're born into it. How many believe that? We're not, we're not associated into it. We're not, uh, we're not learning our way into it. Isn't that right? We are born into it, and there is no other way. There is no other way. New life in Christ begins with a new birth, and it doesn't begin any other way, and that's what's important here. Now, let me just give you a, a, a little groundwork here. In Romans chapter 12, here's our scripture that, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And conformed, as we, as we defined earlier, are, are forces and influences that come from without that, that cause a man to feel pressured to change. It comes from without. And it, and it can simply be peer pressure. It can be things that everyone else is doing. And that's conforming. God doesn't want you to act that way. God doesn't want you to believe the, the word of God because everybody in my family does. God doesn't want you to act a certain way in church because that's the way every other church does. That's not the reason to do that. We don't want you to stop cutting your hair because everybody tells you to do that. It's, at some point, it's got to come from within. We guide children. We teach children and so forth. We impose uh, standards on children. But at some point, there's got to be a transition from being told to do it and doing it on the inside because it's the word. We got to go from children to Daniel. Right? We got to go from immature to Daniel. Daniel did it in Babylon without mom and dad, without rabbi. He did it because he knew the word of God said contrary, and it came from within. That's what we want to pray all of our children have. That's what we want to pray that every one of us have is that experience. So we're not to be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed, which is the Greek word metamorpho, which means to go from one form to another. Same person, but now we're going from one form to another. And it's not from the outside, it's from the inside. It's from the Spirit of Christ that lives on the inside. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So if this is done through the renewing of your mind by the Word of God, then Satan obviously is going to use the, the mind, which is his territory, to really affect you and really tempt you and confuse you and try to bring you down because that's where a lot of that transformation actually uh, starts to take place in our lives. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul writes this also, he says, but even unto this day, as we read our text here, that uh, the veil is upon the heart in verse 18, but we all with open face 
beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. We are actually rewired. We're changed. We're transformed. And that's the same word there. We're transformed into the same image. We're actually turned into what we're looking at. We're turned into what we're reading. We're turned into what we're hearing, right? Whatever, whatever it is you feed on, you're being turned into that, whether you realize it or not. If you listen to Christian rap, which is an oxymoron, or Christian rock, which also is an oxymoron, then let me tell you, you're being transformed by that. And you don't realize, a lot of times we don't realize the spirits that go with that. You can have a woman preacher, and she might be able to really put it together, but there's a spirit that goes with that. And that spirit is wrong. It's contrary to the word of God. And so therefore, we are being changed by something or the other. And he's saying that uh, when the spirit of the Lord is at work, uh, we are changed from glory unto glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is? Liberty means two very, very important things. Number one, it, is the, the, it, it means to be able to do or omit things that have no relation to salvation. So yeah, you're free. You're free to come to this church or you're free not to. You're free to smoke. You're free not to, right? I got enough money. I got the age requirement met. I can do lots of things because I'm free to do it. In a country, we have the freedoms to do that. And I am free to do it. There's nobody going to tell me, no, you can't do that. The second thing is, is that liberty means that we are living uh, as we ought, as we ought to, not as we please. Now, this is the important one for us. We do not adopt the attitude that, well, hey, you know what? I was addicted once and God set me free. Now I can go and live whatever way I want to. And I, can, I was once a sinner, but now I'm saved and I can go live whatever way I want to. And I can, uh, I was once bound by this or bound by that, but you know what? I've turned 18, so now I've got liberty and I can do what I want. That's not why God gives you liberty. God gives you liberty so that we live not as we want to, but now as he wants us to. We are now free to become, listen, we are now free to become what God envisioned before the foundation of the world. We are now free to become sons and daughters of God. Glory. We're now free to become what God intended in the first place. We're not just free now to wander around like wandering stars and do whatever we want and show up for church whenever we want and be indifferent to the things of God. That's not why God has set you free. God has set you free to say, now, Lord, you purchase me. What do you want to do with me? How do you want me to live my life so I can live pleasing unto you? How do you want me to live my life so I can reflect the glory of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ? How, how do you want me to live? And, and that's, that's what real true liberty is. And when Paul says that, now the Spirit, the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, then there is the freedom to become what God predestinated you to be in the first place. All right? So that's the idea. Now, as we said last Sunday, and this is the article by William Bennett, young men who played video games and use pornography the most are being digitally rewired. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter really what tool uh, Satan will use. He, like in Daniel's day, they didn't have pornography online and they didn't have uh, you know, social media, but they had a means of influencing this, these Jewish young men uh, in their way, right? They, they had that in their way. Some of you are actually older than Google. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, you're actually older than Google. And, and Satan has not always had that means to be able to rewire people. But let me tell you, they were rewired nonetheless. 
If, if Satan, in Satan's domain, he had ways of using a means to, uh, to rewire people's thinking. And nowadays, uh, video games are a real tool. Uh, pornography is a real tool. An online presence, uh, you know, un, un, uh, unchaperoned, if you like, uh, is a, a real tool. And it winds up making people think differently about life than what they used to think. And that's Satan's goal. And these developing brains are being catered to by video games and immorality on demand with a click of the mouse in endless variety. And I will tell you, there are systems in place that are hard at work while we're at church trying to make your life more difficult and more tempting all the time. <clears throat> I, I, I circulated just a little an article about artificial intelligence and the, the new chat uh, thing. What is it uh, called? Chat GBT. And uh, let me tell you, it is, a, it is an amazing, absolutely an amazing thing. And I, I sent that article, I'm, I'm going to make it more public so everybody can have a look at it, but I sent it to one person about what they thought about this article about chat GPT. Is it chat GPT? And they went to chat GPT, had chat GPT formulate a response and send that response back to me. Uh, I thought, wow, <laughs> this ain't, uh, I'm too old. I'm just too old for this. I like to write my own stuff. <clears throat> now, Brother Branham says, <clears throat> I want you to look at this contrast. It's the elected that hears it, it meaning the word of God. And he says, no man can come to me unless the Father has called me first. It's the elected that hears it. How many believe that? I believe what's in you is stronger than uh, what's on what's online. I believe what's stronger. I believe what's in you is stronger than what's online. I believe that I believe that God has placed something very powerful in us that's able to transcend anything that this age can throw at you. Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. And it's the elect that hears the word. No matter how deep you are, no matter how far uh, sunk down you are, I believe that there is, there is something in you that's capable of hearing the word of God. And it rises above the, all the voices that you hear in your daily life. And I believe, Brother Bam said, that there is a church coming. And whenever you see that phrase, you ought, your ears ought to perk up. I believe that there's a church coming into that ministry of perfection where the offices, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists for the perfecting of the church will be so with the word until the whole thing will work right up to the coming of the Lord. And I believe we're nearing that time now. I believe it's so. I believe that there will be a ministry come that will, will minister to the people, the elect, and they will be so with the word. I want to be so with the word. I don't know about you. I want to be with the Word. I want, to be, I want to be not only with my Bible, but I want to be with the author of the Bible. I want to be, I want to be walking with him. I want to be uh, sensitive to this. And, and I, want to, I want to be able to walk that way. He said that the whole thing will work right up to the coming of the Lord. I believe that, and I believe we're nearing that time now. That was 1962. Here's the contrast. I believe that we have seen enough in our day that we live in that we ought to really give all of our being to God. This is Brother Bram's last statements on the earth, 1965, 12-12. And he said, we should really serve God. We're not blind. We see that we're here. We've arrived. And we also can look around and see that the way the human mind is leaving the people. <clears throat> what a statement. If the human mind is leaving the people, what mind has taken over? Right? 
I, 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 was, I was looking at the headlines this week and just, you know, it just comes up on the feed and I was just looking at it and, that, and they, were, they were describing uh, three dead, six injured here and then they were saying four dead and, and eight injured over here and I thought, wow, is this the same one? No, it's not. It's a different one. And it used to be once a week we saw headlines like that. Now it's almost once a day. And, and it even, sometimes it even overlaps on the same day. And you're trying to figure out, was that, was that in Texas or was that in California or was that somewhere else? And you're trying to figure out where that is. You know what that is? That's a result of the human mind leaving the people. When you can go into a school or you can go into a mall where people are just minding their own business and doing ordinary things and somebody comes in uh, with a weapon like that and, uh, and, and for no apparent reason and for no, for no sensible reason at all would wreak such destruction among innocent people. Let me tell you, the human mind is leaving the people. And Brother Manham said, we can't stay too much longer. We'd be in a complete insane institution. The whole world would be, he said, so we're at the end time. Let me ask you, where do you go? To ask, answer me the question, where do you go today uh, to try to find solace from, uh, you know, the, the insanity that's around us here? And it isn't getting any better. It's, it's getting worse. And a government that is lame in terms of dealing with it. Come on, folks, don't get, don't get all right wing with me here. A government that's lame to prevent it. A government that, uh, you know, is, is all, they're all, uh, they're all scared to death that they're not going to get reelected and so forth. So instead of governing the people, it's all about reelection here. And who suffers in the meantime? <clears throat> uh, let me tell you, if it goes on now, uncorrected, what's it going to be like when these guys grow up here on the front row? When, not you, but when these guys grow up here in the front row and, and they're, they're actually, you know, getting married and having kids and so forth, what's it going to be like now if, we can, if, if the people in power can look at it and do nothing? Common sense to tell you somebody ought to do something. But everybody's afraid to say the, uh, you know, those words here. And, and a, a, as a result of that, everybody's locked in a position of, well, I don't want to do anything. Because if I say something, I might not get reelected and I might be, uh, I might be criticized and so forth. Common sense would tell you that somebody ought to do something somewhere. Common sense would tell you that we who have a, a voice at the election box have a choice. I'm not campaigning for political action. I'm just saying that everybody kind of sits around and says, well, why don't somebody do something? And you have a role in that as well. And if you don't, if you're not going to run for political office, and I'm not recommending that any of you do, but if any of you did want to do, I'd probably vote for you. I would say this, that we ought to be praying for the peace of our neighborhoods. Because that's biblical, and I can show you that in the New Testament, that we should be praying for the peace of our neighborhoods so that our children come home after school every day. Because what Brother Bram's telling us in 1965 is that the human mind is leaving the people. And if the human mind is left, then something has taken over. And he says we can't stand that too much longer. <clears throat> so as we define truth is, is, in the Old Testament, it means firm, faithful, and stable. That's what God was. That's what God is. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is he. How many of you would agree that God is firm, faithful, and stable? He absolutely is. He's continuous and he's reliable. Truth in the New Testament is what is true in any matter under consideration in things pertaining to God and the duties of men. Truth is truth. And Paul said, sorry, John said, I have no greater uh, joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
Under the blood, Brother Branham said, it all looks like sons and daughters of God to him. As long as they're confessed under the blood. I, I put that quote in there because I love that quote. I'll tell you what, you might have had a terrible week and you might have messed up. And in your mind, you may be thinking, wow, I'm, I'm below this and I'm, I'm not as good as that. And I, I made mistakes. I'm lackadaisical about this. And I'm not, uh, you know, I never sung a special or anything else. Hey, listen, under the blood, it all looks like sons and daughters to him. You don't want to grade yourself without the blood of Christ. Because every one of us would find fault with ourselves. But under the blood, it all looks like sons and daughters. It all looks like family to him. So if we've done wrong, get under the blood and confess your sins. If we fall for grace, get under the blood and confess your faults to him. We have an advocate with the Father. And if it wasn't for that advocate, we'd all be gone. But in there we're brought under the rich royal blood of the Son of God. And before God, you are pure and holy. Say it with me. Pure and holy. I don't feel it. Say it anyway. Pure and holy. You say, I messed up this week. Say it with me. Pure and holy. I'm not saying that. He's saying that. A prophet is saying that. You ought to say that about yourself. Now, Brother Manum asked the question, I wonder, I wonder what the church ought to look like. How pretty it ought to be in, in, in order at the coming of the Lord. I wonder what it should look like. I wonder what the Holy Spirit wants to take us to. I wonder what the Holy Spirit wants to change us into before we leave here. Are we all okay? You're, uh, and I, I asked that wrong. <laughs> you think you're okay as you are today? I'm not talking about looks, but I'm talking about the inner man. Are you all, got everybody all primed, ready to go? Are we all in, in just the right place that God wants us to be? And, and you, you're all quick here to make an assessment and say No. No, still got work to do. Well, what holds you back? Why not jump in with both feet? You got to make something right with somebody, go do it. You got to ask forgiveness for something, have at it. What's holding you back? A lot of times it's pride that holds us back from making the right adjustments and corrections. And he said, its robes, this church, its robes should be washed in the blood of the Lamb. All the divine orders of God set perfectly in order in it. No friction. Just waiting for that moment. Just, just waiting for that. I want to be at that place where I'm ready. I want to be at the place where uh, there's nothing else that I need to make right. Nothing else that I need to have done. Nothing else that I've forgotten. I want to be sure that I'm, uh, I'm right. And the only way I'm ever going to know that is to ask the one who confirms our readiness. The only way to do that is to ask God who confirms our readiness. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham said, and I, I thought this was interesting, and I'm going to switch gears here. Brother Branham said in my life story, his wife was going, dying in the hospital. Brother Branham's first wife, she's leaving. And Brother Branham hollers out to her and screams her name. And she said, I'm going, Bill, and, and it's, it's glorious to go. I was on my road, she said, had someone by each arm like white angels, and they were taking me down a path to my home. And I could hear you calling way back up the road. And she said, I turned and came back. Honey, peaceful, great palm trees, birds like the dawn of a morning. She's moving into a realm that's quite different than the one she's moving out of. The one she's moving out of is ravaged by a flood that has no parallel in, in U.S. history, as far as we know. 
the great flood uh, back in that day. And, and so many people's lives were changed by that great flood in the, in the Ohio River in the Mississippi. And, and she's leaving a, a place of chaos and death and destruction and, and all of the other things that are wrong about this world. She's moving into this place with palm trees and so forth. And he said a peaceful, she said a peaceful place. And Brother Bram said, you know what I think? I think she was just on that breach, which is a gap between the natural and the supernatural. And she said, promise me one thing, that you'll always preach this glorious gospel of the Holy Spirit. It sure pays when you're going, Bill. Here's some, imagine now, all generations that have lived on the earth that knew God. We're the one generation that had a person testify of almost being there and being called back and say, hey, by the way, and then take off and go to that, that place. I don't know of any other generation that have had that privilege to have an eyewitness to be able to look at that escorted by two angels going into a place of, uh, you know, tranquil beauty and all of the, all the other things that she describes. And then, hey, hold on one sec and you can come back and tell Bill, uh, whatever you do, preach the gospel that gets people where I'm going. And here she is on the breach. And the breach is a gap. Whenever you see a whale jumping out of the water and just before it lands, that's, that's called the whale breaching the water. It's, it, there's a gap between the whale and the water and then all of a sudden there's a connection there. In that gap, she, Brother Bam said she's right in between there, supernatural, natural, and she's passing between those two in that gap. I say, saints of God, if we're not in that gap, we're pretty close to that gap. And one day we'll step out. It's not going to be a long journey. It's just going to be a step we take. And it's going to be, I believe, like I said before, where God brings us to the edge of impossible and then says, go ahead, take another step and go into that supernatural realm. That's what it's going to be like. It's not going to be a long journey. It's going to be just another step. And I believe God's preparing us for that. And I say, God, make us ready for that moment. Make us ready for that hour. Stop our nonsense and stop our carnality and stop our making excuses and justifying everything else and be ready to take that step. And if God says it's tomorrow morning before you're even expecting it and God says, you'd say, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I acted on what I knew. I acted on what you told me and I'm ready to go. May God give us all that desire in our heart that burns greater than your normal obligations to make yourself right and ready to go. And may God give you that. I can't give you that. I can, I can uh, exhort you and I can say it, but I can't make you ready to do that. You've got to do that. It's got to come from the inside. Young people, it's not learning the rules and, uh, you know, adjusting to the dress codes. It's not that. It's somehow or another allowing God to stir in your heart so that he brings you to the place like Daniel where you say, I'm going to do it because God said so. Amen. Now, can I turn a corner? Flee also youthful lust, Paul writes, but follow righteousness, faith, and charity. This is not a male verse. This is not just for males. Youthful lust applies to a lot of different situations. And it is for young people in general. And obviously Satan's smart enough to know he's going to attack at the weakest link. We've identified the weakest link. It would be good for all of you today to identify your weak link and it would be even better for you and more advantageous for you to cover that weak link because we all have one. Well, it's amazing how God made us. And Brother Branham said it like this. And I'm just going to say how he described it when he was talking to Mayo Clinic and talking about his own life. He said, I'm nervous. I'm made this way. I have this birth sign and all the rest of it. And he said, it just came from the human grab bag. He said it was like God allowed every one of us to reach into the human grab bag and take some things in that bag. He says, and that's what I got. 
I got nervousness. He said, I got born as an Aries. I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, insecure about certain things and all the rest of it. He describes that. I'm not, I'm not being critical. He describes that. But he said, it's what I got in the human grab bag. That's what he says. So all I'm saying is that every one of us are, <laughs> by God's design, born human. Take it up with God if you don't like that. But we're all human. So was Brother Branham. Everybody say amen. amen. Brother Branham was not supernatural. Mary was not supernatural. Popes are not supernatural. You're not supernatural. You're human. And you have flaws and weak areas just like everybody else. And Paul is, is saying also that when it comes to youthful lusts and things that drag you down, that you're not supposed to hang around and reason with those things. You're supposed to what? Flee. You run away. We have a name for people that hang around and try to argue with youthful lusts. We have a name for people like that. You know what that name is? Victims. You know what Joseph did in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, when Potiphar's wife came at him hard? Remember that? What did he do? He used his feet for discernment and took off. Because you're a fool if you feed on the thing that weakens you. You're a fool if you hang, hang around and try to reason with and fertilize the thing that weakens you. It's much smarter for you to flee. Don't try to reason it out. Just flee. Get away. And that's what the Bible tells us. So for young men, as we mentioned last, uh, last Sunday, and I won't take time, much time here, but many times, if they don't read their Bible, they don't really know what God requires. They don't really know what God hates and what God loves. Without a concept of the absolute, you won't apply it. And we need to realize that you reap what you sow. Every choice has a consequence. Lacking vision and having time to sit down, shut the phone off, and start thinking about, Lord, what do you have for my life? What is it that you want me to do? And do it without distraction. That is absolutely four pillar things that young men should do. Now, <clears throat> I want to I just illustrate something here in, in Matthew 5. We've talked about Matthew 5. And, and there's two things in Matthew 5 that Jesus tells us that just because it's mentioned in the Old Testament, that we should not think about it in the New here, because these are moral laws. And the two things that he isolates in Matthew 5, and we'll, we'll talk about this more, is anger and lust. And these are two things that he identifies. And he says, uh, Ye have heard it was said of, by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And that's a commandment in the Old Testament. It didn't die when Jesus was born. Hello? Because it's a moral law. Moral laws still exist. Right? But I say unto you that whosoever lusteth, or sorry, looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he doesn't just leave the law as is, he magnifies it. He goes like this. He said, this is what you've heard all your life, and now let's look at it a little bit closer. Let's dig in. That's what he says. And that word looketh here is a really important word. In the Greek, it means to see with the mind's eye, to understand, to contemplate, to weigh carefully and examine. You see lots of things. When you go into Walmart and run up a day, you see lots of things. You see lots of crazy people, right? But by God's grace, you're able to forget the vast majority of that when you leave. Thank God. But when a person lusts after somebody and looketh like Jesus is using the word here, it means that we're actually contemplating what if. And we're weighing carefully. 
Sometimes a conversation goes like this. What, I wonder what I could get away with. I wonder how far I could go before I've crossed a line. I want to look at all the angles of this. And I could put a distance there. But nobody would know. And this is what Jesus is talking about. It's not just looking like I'm looking at you. It's, it's more this, this contemplating, looking at things with the mind's eye. You look at things with your natural eye, but we look at things with the mind's eye a little bit different because we contemplate it. Can anybody relate to this? Anybody understand this? Now, we find that word very interestingly here. That word looketh. Watch. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, you said, Brother Barry, you said you were going to talk to the girls. Hang on. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Is that a male verse? No. And shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. There's the word again. Flee fornication. That word, look at, uh, sorry, that word for the, that we're, we're highlighting here. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? The word harlot there is porne. Guess what word comes from that word? So in other words, if whoever invented the word pornography thought for a minute, this is really adultery or fornication. I mean, this, this is what this implies. That's what I'm saying. It's what it's implied. And, and we know what the definition of this would be. So we don't want to become members of a harlot. I, I'm just quoting what Scripture says. It's kind of flat here. But I, I, I'm just saying what, what the Scripture says. That a man or a woman, a young man, young woman, does not, and Paul asked this question, know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then we make, take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? Shall we turn them into pornography? I mean, that's the, that's the question. And Paul is taking that from the words of Jesus over here in Matthew chapter 5. Now, watch what Brother Branham says about this. He said, now when I stood in Paris, France, 1953, he said, here not long ago to see that nation of people who've polluted themselves beyond anything that I know I've ever seen. And if I ever seen a rat hole in my life, it was Paris. He said, when it was so dirty and filthy and immoral, jumped off in front of the Notre Dame church and the prostitutes there, he said, you had to beat them off at a club almost, selling pictures that's vulgar and everything else like that. So he's identifying that, that that's an origin of where a lot of this stuff actually had its roots. Now, it's been with us since Paul identified it back here, uh, you know, in the early church. But Brother Bram's identifying where this, where this thing is now rooted, if you like, or where this thing is headquartered. Guess what? It moved. The headquarters moved. And the devil set up his headquarters there. And there's where he started right there to demoralize the world from Paris, France. Then he couldn't get in here through the ministry. So the thing that he done was come to Hollywood out here. Guess what? He moved his 
his, his headquarters. The only reason you'd move your headquarters is that you're able to have a broader outreach. You're able to have a broader effect. Because now he's put it where Hollywood is, is now ramping up. This is 1954, and Hollywood's ramping up, and Satan knows the potential of that, because guess what? That comes from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so therefore, he's got access to knowing, wow, if we can get this headquartered in a place where Hollywood is actually growing here, my, the, the potential to reach millions and billions of people is absolutely exciting to Satan. Are you following me? And all I'm doing is telling you that here's Brother Branham. He's tracking that for us. He's, he's coming across and saying, wow, the devil landed back here 15, 20 years ago with his great army and he hit Hollywood, California. He's invaded the United States with demon powers. All of our fashions come from Paris. He said to get into Hollywood and it's on the screen. So what may be something singular in, in, in France, he said now hits Hollywood, now it becomes a global influence. Don't tell me Satan doesn't plan. Don't tell me he doesn't know what he's doing. Don't tell me that he's not willing to take patient steps and get to where we are today. We didn't get to where we are today overnight. We didn't get to where we are today just by uh, some fluke of somebody inventing a, a cell phone. What you're experiencing today has been planned. I will assure you. Now, our resources... Our resources, and I want to keep this in view, I want to come back to this, but our resources are, are very real. And, and I need you to keep in mind that, uh, you know, sometimes you look at things like this and you think, wow, it's all negative. It isn't all negative. Because God, listen, God would never have left us in a world like we're in unless he gave us resources to counter the enemy and to be victorious over it. Because he wants you to be an overcomer. Not just somebody who's an avoider. Not somebody who's a prepper and lives in a cave in Montana. God wants you to be an overcomer. Say it with me. An overcomer. Say it in your heart. God wants me to be an overcomer. Whether you're young or old or middle-aged, it doesn't matter. God wants you to be an overcomer. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let me jump for a minute. And come back to this question here where Brother Branham was asked the question, what activities should our preteen children participate in? And this is not just confined to preteen children. I think it's a good thing for teenage children to be influenced by this answer. And how should we go about helping the select their associates or kids that are in the past their teen years and still living at home? Brother Branham's advice was keep them in Christian company as long as you possibly can. If it's a girl, you know this, uh, we've quoted this many times. If it's a girl, keep her with Christian girls, Christian boys, vice versa. And if she's old enough to go with a boy, see that she keeps the right kind of boy and discourage her to any other boy otherwise or a boy to a girl, same principle. She's going to be a, if she's going with an unbeliever, try to encourage her to go with a believer. Why? Because associations carry spirits with them and create an atmosphere, right? If you have an unbelieving friend, they're not going to want to, they're not going to be too excited about uh, seven things we learned from adoption, right? Um, or you say, hey, I got a sermon Sunday morning. Brother Barry talked about this stuff here. Uh, yeah, well, I got something else we could watch. Because an unbeliever is not going to be too overly enthusiastic about what we're talking about today, right? So Brother Ram's saying we should discourage certain things and encourage other things and make your home nice. Make your home nice. That's something you can do. 
Make your home nice. And, and when it's nice, it means that when, you, when your uh, daughter brings home uh, some friends and there's a boy there, and you know that boy's got his eye on your girl, you should say, my pastor said, a prudent man foreseeth the evil, and you're evil, buddy. I got my eye on you. I'm, I'm watching you. Just letting you know, buddy. Relax. Welcome to our home. But I'm watching you. Make your home a place where your daughter or son will not be ashamed to bring their company before their mother and father and into their house. And make their home so happy, make their home so happy that we'll be pleased to, that they'll be pleased to, in their home to stay there. Huh. Who knew? There was something in there for you to do. All right. Now, <clears throat> let me talk about social media for a minute. Don't roll your eyes. Stay with me. Because uh, I know this is not you, but you may know somebody. Social media is a big part of many teens' lives. And a 2018 research, Pew Research study of 13 to 17-year-olds found that 45% are online almost constantly. And 97% of, of kids now, 13 to 17, that's the bracket we're talking about. 97% use a social media platform such as YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. But what impact does social media have on teens? Now, this is Mayo Clinic, all right? This is the, this is the report that they gave. All the links are on the bottom. You can uh, certainly take a look at those. I'm giving you very short ex excerpts from these and a couple of important ones. So SM is social media. It uses a negative, uh, SM use can use, can negatively affect teens, distracting them, disrupting sleep, exposing them to bullying, rumor spreading, unrealistic views of other people's lives, and peer pressure. Risks were related to how much social media teens use. <laughs> that seems like a simple sentence there, but I just want to stop, park on one little thing and say that... <clears throat> If you hang around in a social media feed long enough, all of a sudden you become pretty disgruntled with your own life, right? Because you have an unrealistic view of other people's lives. Because I will guarantee you, I'm not, I'm not that savvy with this, but I, under, I, I would guarantee you this, that when somebody's having a really bad day and a really bad hair day, and they've been offended and crying a lot, they're not taking a picture of themselves or like, and putting it up on social media and saying, brokenhearted, devastated today. Everybody hates me. They're not doing that. Chances are they're taking their best. You ever seen girls you know, or, and guys and they're walking around like this and then the phone comes out? They're, they're, they're putting their best foot forward. So guess what? Most of the time, you're only seeing them at their best. Another study <clears throat> said, observe links between high levels of social media and depression or anxiety symptoms and greater social media use, nighttime social media use, and emotional investment in social media. When people have an emotional investment in social media, such as feeling upset when prevented from logging on, you mean we don't have Wi-Fi? We're going on vacation. We're going to be in a cabin in the wilderness and so forth, and we don't have Wi-Fi? Huh? Hello? Why would any human being want to go there? 
I'll die, I'll die, I'll die. Dad, I'm dying. They were linked with worse sleep quality and higher levels of anxiety and depression. Hold on. How teens use social media also might determine its impact. Social comparison and feedback seeking. Feedback seeking is a real thing. How many likes do I get? When I try on an outfit, how many likes do I get? Or I, I've decided to go to camp, how many likes do I get? It was linked with depression. And in, in addition, older adolescents, older adolescents, not the 13, 17 group, but the older ones who use social media passively, in other words, they're just looking at other people's photos, reported declines in life satisfaction. Study of undergraduates showed that the longer they used Facebook, the stronger was their belief that others were happier than they were. The stronger was their belief that others were happier than they were. They're just looking at something that's not, that, that's not true, but they're believing it is true. Because of teens' impulsive nature, experts suggest that teens who post content on social media are at risk of sharing intimate photos and highly personal stories. And you know what? Once it's out there, it's out there. There ain't no pulling it back. So they create posts without considering consequences or privacy concerns. Now, so let me, let me give you an example here, a little bit of this. And, and this is, uh, I hate to put this up here, but this is Grand Theft Auto. Uh, Grand Theft Auto Online. Uh, this is not a good point where you want to laugh or smile uh, because Grand Theft Auto is created on the basis of inverted morality. I've mentioned inverted morality for, for you before, and that means that we're going to take what's morally acceptable in a culture and we're going to flip it around. And we're going to use that as a basis for this game. So in other words, in order for you to win the game, in order for you to win at this particular game right here, you have to get weapons. And the way you get weapons and get more points is to kill a cop. So in the game, in the game, you're going to be hunting first for cops because they're, they have lots of weapons and lots of ammunition. So you're going to, the first thing you're going to do is try to kill as many cops as you can to accumulate weapons so that you can go out to kill other people and then accumulate more points and win the game. Now, that's a, kind of a nutshell amateur way. I've never seen it. I've never played it. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just using descriptions here that I uh, have studied. And, and in other words, the game is, is wired in such a way, structured in such a way that you're going to do the opposite of what's good in order to win. And so morality... The morality of killing someone, number one, but killing a cop, number two, those things are put at the bottom of the moral pile. Because you know what? That doesn't matter. And, and I'm, going, I'm going to do that. It's, it's an inverted morality that's extremely strong in games like this. I rarely say something like this. But if you, if you are a person here today or listening to my voice who has this on a device you own, you should get rid of it. And if you're a parent who knows that your child has this on there, you should do what you can to get rid of it. This is, is evil in a most subtle way. Now you say, you're extreme, Brother Barry. Maybe I am. I'm only telling you what I was told to tell you. All right, that's all. You do what you want to do. And I know that none of you here have this problem, but you may know somebody. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 5, Woe to those that call evil good and good evil. 
who substitute darkness for light. And, and there's, there's a, this is one of the top five most popular games in the entire cosmos. And the age range for people playing this is quite young. And they're being taught, or we, we use the word rewired. Their thinking is being rewired by inverse morality. And that's just one example or many examples where it's flipped around and, uh, you know, calling something that is absolutely wrong, calling it now good, I'm a winner, I'm successful at this, is an attempt to rewire. Can I go a little further? <laughs> Inverted morality... And here's an article, just an excerpt, the link's on the bottom. We now live for the most part in a culture with an inverted morality. These are not believers that are writing this, all right? But I'm telling you that they're, they're, they're acknowledging this very freely. For Christians, it might surprise you, but you are now considered evil for your views. If we take that from the screen to real life, what we are doing today is considered evil because of the concept of inverted morality. It's absolutely perverse. And the good, the good described in the Bible for those who seek God is now considered evil by the culture around us. If you stand for pro-life, if you stand for moral decency in our world, you're considered evil because of inverted morality. If you think there are any sins that are wrong, the inverted culture around you will ridicule you for your antiquated beliefs. Inversion has happened slowly, but it's fully in place now. All right, so some way or another, I don't know how, I have no idea how, and I didn't really research this deeply, but the Wall Street Journal got a hold of documents that were internal documents from Meta. Meta is the owner of Facebook and YouTube and Instagram and so forth, and they got a hold of these internal documents, and these documents blew a hole in the image. This is where all the, uh, the uh, senatorial investigations that went on with Facebook the last little while. You saw Zuckerberg on the Hill and all these other things that happened. It happened because somehow or another, Wall Street uh, Journal got a hold of these documents here, and it exposed this simple fact that a lot of people have known for a while that excessive use of social media is dangerous. These documents prove that from within Facebook. They knew it. But you know what? When you take the revenue that's generated by Facebook, it is more than the next seven social media platforms added together. It is so wealthy and so powerful that they said, hmm, if we start changing things and adding a moral element to this and being more morally conscious, you know what? We're going to lose revenue. So they said, we leave it alone. That's what they said. And these documents got out, so now they're public. Let me, let me just talk a little bit about Instagram for a minute here because Facebook owns Instagram. Facebook, <coughs> sorry, researchers inside Instagram have been studying for years how its photo-sharing app affects millions of young users. Repeatedly, the company found that Instagram is a harmful, harmful for a sizable percentage of them, mostly, most notably teenage girls, more so than any other social media platform. Facebook consistently played down the negative effects of Instagram, including comments to Congress, and hasn't made its research public or available to academics or lawmakers who've asked for it. So the lawmaker said, hey, we want that documentation. And, and uh, Zuckerberg said, okay, and went home and didn't send it. I mean, how do you do that? 
How do you do that when a congressional investigation demands that you produce the goods and they go home and just say, uh, no, we're not going to send it? Has there been any action against Facebook since then? So in 2010, users were introduced to Instagram. That's how old it is. It's a platform focuses on body image and lifestyle. So if Facebook is networking, network, networking and YouTube is information, Instagram is image. It's all about just pictures of people, right? It doesn't tell you how to build a, uh, you know, a kitchen table or repair a flat tire. It's just pictures. It's just images, right? Some of you are looking at me saying, well, I don't know, Brother Barry. I, I've, never, I've never seen it. I don't know. And this is a good time to act that way. <laughs> but you know what? You and I both know you're just acting. A recent report reviewed by the Wall Street Journal, this is the same one they're referring to, that more than 40% of Instagram, I'm not going to be long here, stay with me, more than 40% of Instagram users are 22 years old or younger. Now that percentage has gone up. That percentage has gone up. And 2.35 billion users, do the math, how many people are in the world? Seven billion and a little north of that. We're talking one-third of the world every day log in to Instagram compared with 32% of Facebook users, teen users. One-third. While Instagram was launched with the idea that consumers could use the platform for connecting and sharing, it began to take on negative aspects and so forth. Adolescents were starting to report anxiety. Adolescent users were starting to report anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, especially for girls. After thorough study, Facebook concluded these emotions were tied to Instagram specifically, not social media. This is not a problem with social media because we still want you to get on your Facebook page. But Instagram does have problems. They admitted that. More specifically, 32% of teen girls said that they felt bad. When they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. So let me say it again. 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. All right, stop. Brother Branham says the human mind is leaving the people. Well, what mind has taken over? Someone's making decisions here. Someone's making people feel bad. You don't need your mind. You, hey, you don't need your mind to do this anymore. Someone's doing this for you. That's all I'm saying. Now, you say, Brother Barry, I, uh, are you saying we should, you know, destroy our phones? I'd love to. But I know we can't. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. Flip phones are making a comeback. I'm going to be first in line, because I, I, I can't stand it. But, I, but it's a necessary evil. How much we can do mission-wise and uh, financially building churches and helping missionaries all over the world, it's, it's all done by the Internet and so forth, and I'm thankful for that. Just ask Brother Jonathan the amount of interaction that goes on between doctors and medicines and all the other stuff that goes on, you people in the medical field and transportation field and all the rest of it. I mean, it's just incredible. It's, it's, a, it's a fact of life. And it's like tubeless tires, Brother Bram talked about. It's here to stay. So I, I'm not being unrealistic here. But I'm, I'm just throwing this out here because I'm talking about the culture and the influence of culture, especially on young people. Now watch this. It's the last bit I'm going to read here. Teenagers 
have the ability to consistently check on their status. Are they still popular? How many friends do I have? And I might have a thousand friends, but I might not have anybody to come and sing happy birthday in person when my birthday comes. I might have a, a 1,500 virtual friends, but I don't have anybody to come and help me when I'm sick. So you know what? A virtual friend is not a friend. But 40% of Instagram users who reported feeling unattractive said that feeling began on the app. Watch. Yet Instagram's, Instagram's researchers conveyed that those that had negative psychological effects of the platform were not always logging off. Well, why don't you turn it off? Why don't you delete it? Follow me? Adolescent girls reported they knew the app was causing them anxiety, but they did not have the inner strength to turn it off or delete the app altogether, referring to the app as an addiction or habit. I know it's wrong. I know it hurts. I know it drags me down. And I know it makes me feel bad. But I don't have the moral or inner strength. May God help us to get the Holy Ghost in a real way. Not in a church way, folks. But in a real way. That when the Holy Spirit's able to identify something that is dragging you down, that you're not afraid to actually press the delete button and get rid of it. Every one of your friends might have it. But if, let me tell you, if the whole, and I'm, all I'm saying is I'm not saying you should do this. I'm saying that when you can identify something that weakens you, you're a fool if you feed on it. That's all I'm saying. And whether you're a boy clicking on pornography or whether you're a girl that's caught up in the, in the amount of likes game, if it weakens you, I'm encouraging you to take the step to do something about it. What I'm going to show you broke my heart. What I'm going to show you is incredible. I need you to look at this. This is a one-year-old girl. It touched my heart because it's, this sounds so much like my grandkids. The sounds she's making. And we don't have the sound on here. But she's on an iPad. She takes a magazine trying to swipe. Doesn't work. Takes another magazine, swiping with her finger. She's one. Is it broken? Does it again? I get rid of that. Useless. Do it again. I know my finger works. Pressing. Doesn't work. Do it again. One year old. Now crying. I've had it. Ah. No one has to sit down and teach that one year old how to do this. It's intuitive. No one had to teach that young girl. No one had to teach that young girl how to do that. The human mind is left to people, but somebody, somebody's been proactive. 
Somebody's been thinking about this. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across, folks? The culture is probably a little stronger than what you might think. And you know what? Nobody's, nobody's raising up and objecting to it. You know why? Because we're all on it. And I'm not saying that you should get rid of it. However, let me give you a couple of protections here that might, you might want to think about. It doesn't hurt to set limits. If you've got a young girl who's beginning to drive, you've got a tough decision to make because driving without a phone these days would be a kind of a questionable thing, right? But now you've got to make some decisions here, and there's, there's limits here. Talk to your teen about how to avoid uh, letting social media interfere with things, taking it to bed, for instance, and boundaries, and encouraging a, root, a bedtime routine that avoids electronic media use. Now, some of you are looking at me saying, would you stop? Monitor your teen's accounts as best you can. It's all made to disappear. It's all made to be undetectable. I understand that. Let your teen know that you'll be regularly checking on their accounts, if that's possible, and make sure you follow through if you're going to do that. But here's, here's what's more important. You need to explain what's not okay. You need to explain, especially to your daughters, what's not okay. And discourage your, your teenager from carrying on with forwarding and liking things that are based on gossip, rumors, bullying, damaging someone's reputation, and so forth. Talk about what's appropriate and what's safe. And encourage face-to-face -face contact, because that's real contact. Encourage face-to-face -face contact between young people. That's, you, don't want, you don't want to encourage your daughter to marry some guy who only uh, has a good, uh, you know, writes a good email <laughs> or has a, has a great uh, profile. And you need to talk about social media. Let me, let me just say this, that uh, I have found, in my experience, I've found this. I've found this. That my personal interaction with my boys has helped me with them more than anything else. Rather than trying to shame them publicly, and rather than trying to be critical of them around the dinner table, a one-on-one -on -one interaction with them has been more helpful to be able to sit down and say, hey, hey, what's going on? What? In some cases, in some cases, the Lord has alerted me to certain things that have gone on in their lives. And I, I would talk to them one-on-one -on -one and, and try to deal with them. What I'm saying is this. The relationship you have with them is going to be more powerful and meaningful than a restriction of some sort or a punishment of some sort. I'm going to take your phone for a week. Well, uh, you know what? That will only teach a child to find out better ways to hide things so that my parents can never find it. And listen, young people today are moving at the speed of youth. They're not moving at your speed. They're moving at the speed of youth. And these guys who are looking at me here, they know way, way more about the phone and how to use it and social media and all that than, than I ever would. And how to hide and how to run and how to be undetectable and all of that. It's all there. How to use platforms to get different places. And all. all I'm saying to you is simply this. Is that if you're... You as a parent, you're sitting there thinking, well, not my child. Brother Barry, I'm glad you said that for all of them, but not my child. You need to wake up. Because we live in Satan's Eden. And if the human mind has left the people, and the people have no respect for the Bible, morality, and what's right, someone else is doing the thinking. And that, that entity has moved in wholesale like a flood.
And you need to be prepared to deal with it. Because that's what we call, that's what we're, I'm referring to as culture. And Brother Branham tells us, he tells you to be proactive. He says, we got to think of the others that's coming on behind us, these young people and so forth, a place for our children. Our daughters, we don't want them out in the world. You know what is funny? That today, that means you can be out in the world and lying on your bed in your bedroom. You can be checked out and be home, have your, have your carcass in the house the whole day and be in the world. You don't understand what I'm saying? Don't be fooled by thinking, well, my daughter doesn't have any tattoos. She's not, uh, you know, running bars and that kind of thing. She can be in the world and in her bedroom. And he says, we don't want that. We want them girls raised like our daughters or like, our, like their mothers. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to make arrangements for that. Huh, now, that's not what it says. The pastor will make all arrangements. No, that's not what it says. Who's going to make arrangements for this? Who's going to think about this? Parents are. I'll say what I'm saying. Sunday school teachers will say what they're saying. But you know what? This really, this, this kind of message moves home. You've got to package this one up in a bag somehow and take it home. And you young people have got to think about going home. You've got to think about what this actually means. Could I be right? Could I be half right? Even if I'm half right, a lot of you parents should be scared to death. I have good news for you. This is my last slide, and I'll end with this. He broke the powers of Satan. That's a capital H. He meaning Jesus. Jesus broke the powers of Satan. Aren't you glad that's not referring to Brother Branham? Because if he broke the powers of Satan and Brother Branham's gone, you know what? The powers of Satan could come back. But it was not Brother Branham he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus here. Jesus broke the powers of Satan. Therefore, that power, I said, that power is still here. That power is still here. He opened the prison doors of hell, and you don't have to no longer be torn down by sin. You don't have to. You don't have to be wallowing in the trap of peer pressure and all the rest of it. You don't have to no longer yield your members to sin, drinking, smoking, gambling, telling lies. You can be honest, just, and upright. And Satan can do nothing about it. Look here, everybody. Hey, look at your neighbor. Make sure no one's asleep. Look at your neighbor here. Watch this. Let's read this. You can be honest, just, upright, and Satan can't do anything about it because you got a hold of the lifeline. And the lifeline is anchored to the rock of ages. And nothing can shake you from that. You just got to be sure your line is anchored in the right place. It's not anchored in your father's church. It's not anchored in, uh, I've been to Jeffersonville. It's not anchored in how you feel. It's anchored in Christ. That's where you got to be anchored, folks. But when you, got, when you got your line tied to that, you can be honest, just, and upright, and Satan can't do anything about it. Paul says, whether I abound, whether I lack, good times and in bad, it doesn't matter what's coming from the outside. It's what's on the inside that really counts. We're not dependent upon what everybody else is doing. We're not dependent upon what's trending. 
We're not depending upon whichever way the cosmos is moving. Our anchor is tied to that rock of ages. Hold on to that and pull that, and it'll pull you right into the presence of God. You don't want to marry a guy who's not tied to that rock of ages. Clearly tied. You don't want to marry a girl that's not tied to that rock of ages. She's tied to her phone and she's tied to what everybody thinks and she's tied to what uh, what I got to look like. You don't want to marry a girl that's just caught up in that. You want to marry a girl that's tied to the rock of ages. You don't want to marry a guy that's just handsome and suave and sports, you know, a good sportsman and all the rest of it here or makes a lot of money and is a good talker. You don't want to marry a guy that's, 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 that's all he's got in his repertoire. That's all he's got in his resume. You want to have a guy, even if he's only got one thing on his resume that says, I am a born again Christian. That's the kind of thing you want to look for. That's the kind of guy you want to marry because if you're not tied to that rock, you will be pulled into the cosmos like every everybody else because you're not strong enough. If Satan can get one third of the world's population to log on every day and stay logged on forever, he's a little more powerful than you. And you should not be whistling in the graveyard and thinking, well, (laughs) not my daughter. No, sir. Rosie, she's a Rose of Sharon and she, no, hey, you need to wake up. We need to wake up. That culture is strong. Let's stand to our feet. Let's have our musicians just slide up here quickly. And let me tell you something. <clears throat> when I mentioned to you about the first love, it kind of stayed with me ever since I mentioned that. And I didn't have that in my notes. I didn't really intend to say that. But I will tell you something that one thing is true that when Jesus returns and gathers his bride, you know, for, for departure, when we're all taken off here, He's not going to revive your first love. I believe he's going to take a people who, who are enjoying their first love. And, and you should not wait for some cataclysm to strike this world to get back in favor with God and back in love with God and back uh, in harmony and communion with God. You shouldn't wait for some, some uh, 9-11 to happen so that uh, you know, all of a sudden I get serious. I believe the Holy Spirit would be pleased if you reached out to him even today and said, Lord, I've been cold and I've been indifferent, but I, I just want to tell you this morning that I love you and I know these forces in the culture are stronger than me and I don't want to get, I don't want to get left behind. I don't want to get left behind. and I, I don't want to miss it. I sure don't want to miss it. Even if nobody knows and nobody sees... I just want to walk in harmony with you and I want to love you and I want to, I want to be prayerful. I want to be mindful. I want to have a testimony that I'm a child of God. Be unashamed of that. I remember hearing a little story. This took place after World War II and there was a pastor who lived in a little town and uh, just started pastoring this church and woman died in town didn't have many pastors so they asked him to take the funeral and he didn't know this woman never met her before <clears throat> but she had a bad reputation and the reputation came from her husband was a worker on the railroads and he was gone a lot so she rented out the rooms in her house to workers and different people And people turned that into a bad story. They said she was running a kind of a house of ill repute. 
And uh, that was the testimony of this, of this woman. But the pastor didn't know who she was, and he was asked to preach her funeral. And he was thinking about him, what do I say? Just a young guy, he said, what do I say? What do I say about this woman? She's got a bad reputation. I don't know her, never met her. And he goes into the general store one day, little country store, and he goes in there and the owner says, hey, how are you doing? He says, well, not so good. I got a, pat I got a funeral I got to preach to this woman I don't know. And he said, who's the woman? And he told her. And the, the guy who owned the general store just kind of looked at him. And he said, uh, hang on a sec. Went off and got his ledger book, great big old ledger book, brought, put it on the counter and opened it up. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, that woman came in here once a week. And he said, see all this list of names? He put his hand over the names, but he said, on this right side of the column, he said, is all numbers in red. These are all families that owed money. They were in debt. Either their husband was a drinker or uh, lost his job or had sickness. And she said, he said, every one of these families under my arm are people in this community. And they were all in debt. And that woman came in every week and said, who's in debt this week? And she paid off every one of those bills over months and months and months and months. And she, he said, that woman paid him off. And she made me promise that I would never share that information with anybody. But he said, now she's dead. So he said, I think it'd be all right to tell you. That woman had done an immense amount of good and changed lives. Nobody knew. Everybody thought all kinds of things about her. None of it was true. To me, to me, I, I, I want to be a kind of a person who follows the leading of the Lord no matter what people say. I don't want to be caught up in creating a false image somewhere. That's really not me. I just want to be real. I want to do what the Lord shows me to do. And after I'm gone and the wood is delivered up to Virginia, I want, to, I want, I want you to be able to say, he lived what he preached. He he, he believed what, what it was that, that he preached. I want to have that kind of testimony, Brother Norman. I want to have that kind of a, uh, an epithet on my, my grave that Brother Barry was a man who believed the Word of God. And I hope that you do too. But you know what? It isn't just going to happen automatically because you're standing in this church. It's going to happen because you make a commitment. It's going to happen because you have something stirring in your heart that says, I want that. I want that in my life. I want to have that integrity, that kind of character in my life. I don't want to just go to church and play the game and put up an image and have everybody think this or that about me here. I want it to be real. Tyler, I want it to be something that's real. And not just play the game and put up the smoke screen. I want it to be real. Satan is trying to make everybody unreal in our time. All kinds of images and impressions, Satan's trying to make it unreal. Jesus, your name is power. Oh, Jesus, your name is
As we sing again, and I wanted to sing that little chorus, He is our peace who's broken down every wall. Uh, I want you to uh, just think about this. And if there's, you, you, you regular folks know this, that if you have a need, you're always welcome to come and be glad to pray with you. In a few minutes, we're going to leave. We always do. And slip out and go on about our ways. And, but in, in the moment, in the moment, in his presence. Take advantage of it. And listen for what he has to say. Listen to what he's speaking to your heart. God doesn't speak in vain. He he has a reason behind everything that he does. And you know what? It's his choice you're here. He brought us, we could have lived in Martin Luther's time or any other age, but he chose you to live in this age with its unique challenges very unique challenges with the best Babylon that everybody's ever lived in all the amenities within reach and in everything out there that is intended to make you happy the song is still true he is our peace who's broken down every wall your peace is not out there. Your peace is in Christ. That's for sure. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I believe he still receives people today who are willing to give themselves away. So if you need prayer today, if you need to come to an altar today, today is a good day to do that. Let's sing it today. He is our peace who has broken down
cast all your cares. Oh, 
to say we love you with all of our heart. And Lord, I pray in some way you would help us to love you more. To just love you more. To to be closer to you. If we can, to spend more time with you. And to be honest with you. Because that's what people in a relationship do. I pray, Lord, that would happen to every one of us. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing that any of us could ever do. Lord Jesus, we, in our world, we seem almost overwhelmed, just almost overwhelmed by the influences that are out there. But we are reminded of your promise that says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. May we as adults set good examples before our children by exercising restraint, control, and discipline in our lives that our children may see there's more to life than entertainments and more to life than what's on our phones. Father, I pray that you would, forgiving us, you'd be forgiving us, Lord, today of how much maybe we as adults, we've let the culture influence us. Not even realize it. We're all human. A lot of people who are lonely. In the name of Jesus Christ, I commit the people today into your hands, Lord. I know you love us and care for us. And I know, Lord Jesus, you're just trying to make us look a certain way before you take us home. And I pray, dear God, that you would allow each family to take the word of the Lord, apply it with grace in our lives. And Lord, may we go away and be doers of the word. We give you thanks for our time today. Give you thanks, Lord, for your presence today. And Lord, may you speak to us. Speak to us in a real way. And we'll give you all the glory and the praise. There are people here today, Lord, who still need a healing touch. And we're committing them to you and trusting, Lord, that you will help where our human strength fails us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have your way. Have your way. Holy Yeah.